Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 56 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 27th of March, 2011, entitled, God, the Holy Spirit, Part 18. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 8 to 13. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 8 through 13. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8. The word of God says, Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Father, we thank you again for this time that we can have together in your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, for each one that is here. And Father, I pray that our time would not be wasted. I pray that as we enter this, Lord, most important time of our worship, we thank you, Lord, for being able to sing the songs together. We thank you, Lord, for the prayers that we've been able to pray together. But now, Lord, as we look into your word, we truly depend completely and entirely upon you. And Father, we pray that by thy power, by thy might, Lord, that you would take and speak to our hearts today. Lord, through thy unworthy servant, you know the need of every individual here. And I pray, Lord, that you would take this time and, and use it to speak to their hearts, that each one, Lord, would gain that which they need this day. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. As we have looked at many of these various things concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we would ask ourselves this question now. I mean, we, we certainly understand what we are talking about when we speak of these spiritual gifts from a biblical definition, how that they're distributed, why that they're distributed. We've looked at many of the different gifts and what their purposes are. But how long were these gifts of the Spirit meant to last? Are those gifts of the Spirit still available to us today and in use today? How long did God himself mean for them to be active? And, of course, we could ask ourselves, along with that, are all of these gifts that we have looked at still available to us today, and so on and so forth. And so we are going to attempt, both this morning and this evening, to answer some of those questions. I hope and pray that it will be an encouragement to you and a help to you, because it is exciting when we begin to look as we have been looking through these days on the teachings of the Holy Spirit, what God can and wants to do through His people. It is exciting when we stop and realize, yes, there is a phenomenal task before us, but God hasn't left us to do it alone. And it's exciting what God can accomplish that is even beyond our imagination. As we look at today, as with many of the matters dealing with the Holy Spirit, there is much disagreement out there within the Christian realm over the answers to these questions. We said when we first began to speak both about the Holy Spirit and again when we began to speak about the gifts of the Spirit, 
that it was a very controversial subject even amongst Christians, let alone those outside of Christendom. Well, there's probably not any of those areas that is brought into controversy more than some of those things that we want to look at concerning the duration of these gifts. I want us to think, first of all, about the simple thought of the positions to be considered. What positions are there? What positions do people take on this? Well, verse 8 in our reading today identifies three of what would have been considered by the church here at Corinth the most prominent gifts because it's those that would certainly have been done before others, that others could, could see and know what they were doing. And he addresses three of those gifts in verse 8 when he said, Charity never faileth. First of all, he says, but whether there be prophecies, which is a gift of the Spirit, he says, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, as we see as he speaks of these three gifts here, it clearly states to us that there is absolutely no doubt they will come to an end at some point. They're going to fail. They're going to cease. They're not going to be there anymore. There really, well, there shouldn't be any disagreement over there being a stopping point. The disagreement comes of where the stopping point is. Now, I guess the legitimate question for us to ask was, well, preacher, when do they stop? When do they cease to exist? Well, there, first of all, there are those that would take the position that all of these gifts will cease, will stop to be, will stop to be active at some point in the future. They would say that none of the gifts that we read of in Scripture have yet ceased, and that at some point in the future, those gifts will stop. And of course, they would also, as we look at these verses, the Bible said in verse 9 and 10, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. I don't think anybody can have any question that in all of this, there's something pretty important about when that which is perfect is come. Well, those that believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to stop at some point in the future, when they read that which is perfect there in verse 10, they naturally would just simply see that as something that is in the future as well. And most of them would cite that which is perfect here as the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. That position would conclude that all the gifts, all the gifts that are mentioned are still active today and will be at least until the return of Christ to this earth. Now that's the position that most of our Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters in Christ would take. There's another position. There are those that would also read these same verses, and they would say that all of the gifts have ceased already, that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit were simply, specifically for the apostolic age and that none of them are for the church today. Totally, completely, at the opposite end of the spectrum from those that believe that we still have all of them in work. Now, this group, naturally, what's the difference? Well, you can't read it and realize that the gifts are going to stop. That's for sure. But when that which is perfect is come. 
Now, many of them would look at this passage and they would say that, well, that which is perfect was the Word of God when we got that. And so therefore, when we got the Word of God, all of the gifts ceased. There are absolutely no gifts that are active today. Now, again, there would be, that would be the position that, again, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, such as the Plymouth Brethren and even some other fundamentalist groups that would be, we would look and we were thinking, okay, they're, they're doctrinally sound people. This is the position that they would take, that the gifts were for the apostles' time and that none of them work since that time. So you've got two extremes, people believing that none of the gifts are for us today and people believing that all of them are still in operation. There's still another position. There are those who would say, well, some are future and some are past. Some of them have ceased and stopped, but others are still in use today. Now, remember, the question in any of these positions is not a question of whether or not they will cease. The question all revolves around when they will cease. Now, interestingly, <laughs> there are many that hold to this position that's somewhere in the middle that believe that some have stopped and some are still active today, yet even they still differ, many of them, over what they see this that which is perfect. That which is perfect. You see, some of those that see that which is perfect as the Word of God, and some of them would conclude that the gifts of prophecy, tongues, knowledge have all ceased along with some of the others, but, but that there are many that still remain today. Some that see it as the Word of God, that which is perfect. They conclude that prophecy and knowledge remain, but that tongues have ceased, along with sometimes some others. Of course, then there's still some in this group that see that which is perfect as the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as those that see it as the Word of God, they have these varying views on gifts remaining and those that are ceasing that vary just as much as those that see it as the Word. There's others that see that which is perfect not as the Word of God and not as the Lord Jesus Christ. But being that perfect time here upon earth at the end of the millennium when all sin has been put away and finally everything is perfect as God made it in the beginning and we see the new heaven and the new earth. You can find all kinds of variations on these and, and you can dig up some others that I haven't mentioned. And it all comes back to different views of that which is perfect, that perfect thing that we see here. And yet they can come to various conclusions concerning this matter of the cessation of gifts being both past and future and a mixture of both. Now, I hope that's made everything just absolutely clear to you this morning. <laughs> And that there's now absolutely no question as to when these gifts have ceased or will cease. And of course, with so many different ideas out there, you say, well, preacher, how in the world are we supposed to know what is correct? See, the, the thing is this. It's a challenge. We've got to look at some things. Why? How many of you believe that we've got the inspired Word of God, that God has given us His perfect Word? If there's anything on this earth that's perfect today, how many of you believe that God's Word is perfect? Amen? 
How many of you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was the only perfect being that's walked the face of this earth since sin entered in, that he was perfect, that he is perfect, and that he'll always be perfect, and he is coming again. Amen. How many of you believe that there's coming a time when Jesus Christ is going to come and set up his kingdom upon this earth, and that he will put things right, and that there is coming a day when all sin will be put away, and things will be as God created it in the beginning, with a new heaven and a new earth, with no sin existing. How many of you believe that, praise God? Amen. You see, it's not hard because there is more than one perfect thing. The Word of God is perfect. I believe that with all of my heart. Jesus Christ is perfect. One day, when these sinful bodies are be done away with, We'll have perfect bodies, glorified bodies. One day, Jesus Christ is going to come and make this place perfect once again. Well, I can only say this. I understand. And you know what? I've, I've studied and I've looked at this so many times over the years and many different things that I've tried to grasp, Lord, what is it that you're talking about there? What is that, that key in that verse, and what does it mean? Well, with whatever else that we come up with, I believe there's one thing for certain. That's whatever we decide, whatever conclusion that we come to, let's at least let it be based on the Word of God. That's not saying that our others that disagree aren't trying to base their conclusion upon the same thing. But I'm saying whatever you come to, don't let it be based upon what this preacher says, upon what this church says, upon what some denomination says, upon what somebody in some book says, but let it be based upon what you've seen in the Word of God because you've looked to God and say, God, you show me how that I can understand this matter. So there's only one place that we can really go. And whatever conclusion that we come to in the end, just let it be based upon God's Word rather than man's thinking. Man's arguments are many, and a lot of them are good. Some we can dismiss pretty easily because they're just crazy. They're just not based upon the Bible whatsoever. There's no biblical support for them. Or the Bible itself sometimes <laughs> has enough support to show that what they're saying is wrong. Let's recognize before we look at this that we are looking and addressing one of those difficult passages in Scripture and folks, I will be the first to admit, I do not have all the answers. I don't. And I've been reading and studying about this matter off and on all of my Christian life, and yet I still don't have all the answers. We've got to recognize something else. There are some very good, fundamentally sound people and scholars they come to different conclusions about this. I have no false illusions. I recognize and realize that many of them are a lot smarter than I am or ever will be, and I give that to them. I'm just a simple preacher, a simple missionary pastor seeking to know the truth and in turn to share that truth with you. It's a subject on which there is no doubt that we could spend a lot of time 
It's a subject upon which I have spent much personal study time over the years. I've sought to genuinely, truly read and understand all that God has to say and then have honestly tried to read and study behind those that have studied and written about it. I can say one thing. Through that study, I've come to a position that even though I don't have all the answers, and even though I certainly don't under, understand everything about it, I'm comfortable with the position that I take because I believe with all of my heart I'm comfortable because I genuinely believe my position is grounded upon God's Word, and that's where you need to be. It can't be grounded upon what I say. What does God say? And I think it's important, too. Our whole series here is about contending for the faith, standing up and fighting for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And as we've looked at the importance of that, we've sought to try to understand in these weeks both fundamentals of that faith, fundamentals that all genuine believers must stand for and contend for. We've also looked at some important foundational truths upon which we as a church stand, upon things that are important to us, but yet just because everybody doesn't agree with us, it doesn't make them some kind of a heretic. We not, may not be comfortable with some of their beliefs, and they may not be comfortable with ours. They are important, very important. But it doesn't mean that they're not part of the same faith. And it's important that we distinguish between those things. You see, there are things that I will contend for, things that I must contend for, that I'm required to contend for as carrying that responsibility of the oversight of this local church things that are important biblically, but at the same time, try to teach them with love and understanding and accept the fact that I have many genuine brothers and sisters in Christ that love the Lord dearly, that are part of the same faith that I'm contending for, that we're going to disagree on some of these matters. Some of the things that we've looked at concerning the Holy Spirit, we've said they're fundamental. If you don't believe these things, then you're not part of that faith that was once for all delivered. But we've looked at other things as this that may be important and foundational to our teaching here as a church, but they're not fundamental to the faith. So I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to summarize to you this morning and this evening, if we make it through, summarize briefly the position that I personally take as a pastor, that I believe that I can give you ample biblical support as to why I take that position, realizing that we're only skimming the surface, that there is much, much, much more that could be said. So don't be surprised if you say, well, why didn't you say that there? Why didn't you say that there? I can't say everything there. As we have noticed some of these positions here to be considered, I believe that it will help us to go back as we have tried to do with the whole teachings of the Holy Spirit. Would it not help us maybe to answer and understand honestly if we remind ourselves of the purpose 
for the commencement of these gifts in the first place? Why are the gifts there? Surely that can give us some insight into how long that they will be there. Now, I'm not going to turn back. We spent, I think this is part 17 or something like that of our, our sermons on the Holy Spirit. And we said in the beginning, and we have looked at the three primary passages in the New Testament dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. Here in our reading today in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, in the book of Romans chapter 12, and as we were looking last week and a, a few summers before that, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Now I believe that we've already seen clearly, and we have at least looked in some detail, that the purpose of these spiritual gifts are always for the good of the whole body. Again, may I remind you we're talking about as we begin back with the promise and the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming in the first place, that it's about the work of Christ. It's about Him, His work, being carried out through His body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen, yes, God uses gifted people to minister to you as an individual, and you use gifts to minister to others and to their needs. But it always comes back to the body of Christ, <laughs> to the body as a whole, to us as a unit. All of the individuals making one whole and that whole being the body of Christ himself with him as the head. We cannot lose that focus. And it should help to give us clear understanding that the gifts of the Spirit that we have been studying about and talking about, that they are for the church age. Whatever duration that we end up concluding that they have in the end, we must begin with the fact they commenced with the building of Christ's church and are specifically for the body of Christ. That means we shouldn't have any doubt as to when these gifts began and leave us solely to concentrate on when they end. Now, remember, keep in mind the Holy Spirit is here that during this dispensation of grace, this church age that you and I live in, that the work of Christ can be carried out through every spirit-filled believer. And each of those believers, we've seen it time and again, being fitly joined together in the body of Christ. For us, that's right here at Bethel being gifted with these God-given enablements, these gifts of the Holy Spirit, where they're working together. It is Christ. It is His work that is visibly being seen and glorified amongst us. You see, God's a God of order. These gifts are, in essence, Christ, God himself, working through us. Jesus Christ working through us. Jesus Christ that is the chief cornerstone of the church. You see, Jesus Christ is the beginning and the builder of his church. It started with him. It only happens with him, and it'll finish with him, praise God. Christ, while he was here upon this earth, he chose 12 men, and later a 13th, that we know as the apostles. The apostles, which the Bible says are the foundation 
of that church. Jesus Christ, he chose and empowered those men and gifted those men particularly to be able to carry out a work that he assigned them when he left this earth. The establishing of his church through penning most of the New Testament that we have before us as the inspired Word of God today, through the establishing of those bodies of Christ, which is made up of bodies of believers, and to help them with proper order and leadership to build New Testament churches that were what God wanted them to be, what Jesus Christ himself was building Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, his apostles, the foundation, those bodies which are the building, the church, those bodies we see in the gifts of the Holy Spirit being empowered and gifted through the Holy Spirit that those bodies, that those churches would continue right through to today when you and I sit here this morning, as we saw last week, when one day we are truly all in all in Him, when we are like Him, when we have those glorified bodies and, and sin is gone and we, we need not contend with it anymore. You see, it's important. The gifts were never, ever, ever meant to entertain, to be a showcase. We're going to even see some things. I'm just going to kind of throw it in now, but we'll look at it later. It may shock you to realize that even the most miraculous thing that we take place in Scripture, they were not done. For you. They were done for him. We lose sight. Somehow we want to put us. You see, we can't belittle the love that God loves for each and every one of you. The importance of every individual soul. But in the scope of things, it's for his glory. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are here. And they're all about Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, establishing to his apostles the visible church, the body of Christ. And that same Jesus that established it through those apostles, working and building it today through you and I as he works through you, and every part of this body fitly working together, joined together as the body of Christ, that his work will be accomplished. We're still here. Not so you can accomplish something else with your life. Not so that you can get that big pay rise or that big new position at work. Not to you accomplish anything in this life. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We're here till that last soul is saved, and we're out of here. We're out of here. We forget our purpose. <laughs> we want to know all about the gifts of the Spirit and how they work. Folks, the Holy Spirit was left for a purpose. The gifts of the Spirit are given for a purpose. But if we're bent on our purpose being something else in this life except what he's wanting to do to us, it's not going to accomplish anything. It's not meant to put on a show. It has nothing to do with showing how spiritual you are. So many of these things, Christ himself, through his apostles, through his church, doing his work, until his work is completed, until he returns in glory. That's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are all about. 
So I'm just telling you, to my thinking, it's pretty clear when the gifts started and that they are particularly for the church for a specific purpose and that right now we are here in that church age. That still leaves us. Are all these gifts still here for, for everybody for the entire duration of the church? Well, part of that's pretty simple from our previous studies, both here in 1 Corinthians and in Romans 12, both. We've already seen very clearly every gift is not for every person. Everybody doesn't have the same gift. Nobody has all of the gifts. Matter of fact, I've made it very clear that in looking at these passages, I don't think that's even all the gifts that we have listed there. The gifts are anything that Jesus Christ wants to do through our lives that he can accomplish, that he can do through us, that is an enable and a power that's beyond our own. He can gift us to accomplish that. These are great examples but there's far more even that he can do. We've already seen how those gifts are distributed and how that they, they differ. Yet how important it is that they all be working together in unity that in the end it's one Christ. One Christ. You see, I believe we can safely conclude that no single gift is for every believer and that different gifts are distributed throughout the body. We saw as he, the Spirit, will. Not how we will, not what we desire, not what we want, but as he will. We saw in Ephesians chapter 4 as we went through those sermons there that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He did not give all of them to everybody. God tells us that. We don't override the facts and the truths of Scripture. And we, again, we, we, we've got to keep those things in mind as we look back to our passage. You see, we've looked at some of the positions that need to be considered. And of course, as we have looked at those positions, we've looked at the purpose that these gifts were given in the first place. But I want to address you thirdly for just a few moments on some of the particulars about the cessation of these gifts. Now, I'm just going to kind of introduce you to this, and I'm going to try to give you a taste. And I hope that you buy it. You, you, see, you see, I have a problem. <laughs> There's so much in God's Word. There's so much containing to these things. And yet, as your pastor, I have such a limited amount of time with each of you. I want to whet your appetite. I want to show you that God gives us some very special truths. That You know, I don't say this, I'm saying that, you know, I've studied even this passage here time and time and time again since I was a young man. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed that sometimes the things that are there so clearly in God's Word, and yet that we can just overlook them, not recognize their importance. Notice these verses again. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, 
Then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Well, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abide of faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Did you notice the first word that we began with in verse 8? And the last word that we finished with in verse 13? Charity. Love. This whole passage, it begins with love and it ends with love. Matter of fact, if you're going to look at these verses in the context which God has given them to us, what this passage is really doing is contrasting the permanence of love against the temporariness of gifts. God's love is forever. Love is forever. Love is for eternity. All the gifts in contrast are temporary. Therefore, a time. Therefore, God to work through us specifically. You see, we've already established these gifts are for the church. Therefore, they're for the church age. So we hear much talk many times about permanent gifts and temporary gifts. Well, I would say to you that it's only love that's, that's permanent, that's eternal, but it's all the gifts. All the gifts are temporary to some degree. All the gifts will cease at some time. And the question simply comes back to when is that? I want you to notice a couple of things. Notice at verse 8, he says, But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. This verse tells us a lot about the cessation of these gifts. Now, I'm not going to get over-technical with you because I couldn't if I wanted to anyway. I don't want you to feel like you're in a, an English or a Greek lecture, which I wouldn't be able to do very good either at, but these words here, they make some very, very important distinctions. Now, I'm just going to try to keep it simple. But you see, this is part of what we mean when we talk about the verbal plenary inspiration of God's Word. Words matter. God says what he says in the way that he says it for a reason. Sometimes we just need to look. In this case, I believe it will help us immensely in answering some of these questions if we just take a closer look at what he's saying. It's also a passage that is often used wrongly to try to prove wrong things. How many of you, how many of you have ever heard somebody go to this passage and talk about that which is perfect has come to show why that tongues don't exist anymore? How many? Yeah. Well, if you've talked to many people about it, then, you know, you, you'll probably have come across it. <laughs> Simple truth is that's so totally, completely out of context there's some beautiful things here, but that's not what it says, folks. <laughs> Matter of fact, in that which is perfect has come, he's speaking clearly about the knowledge and the wisdom, but not about the tongues. <laughs> Look at what God's saying. Don't try to take a text and make it say. If you're going to base something, if you're going to believe something, if you're going to stand upon something, make sure that it's based legitimately upon the Word of God. 
You need to think about and understand the context of what's being said here, and you need to look closely at what God's saying because God has said it the way that he said it for a reason, and we have no right to try to make it say something that we want to prove if it's not what he's saying. You see, God speaks in words. We have it recorded in words. Now, you see, there's a distinction here, first of all, in the action. A distinction in the action. The action words. The verbs that are used here. What does he say there? Prophecies shall what? They shall fail. Notice what he says about knowledge. Knowledge shall vanish away. Now, interestingly, in the original, in the Greek, it's the same word in both places. It's the same word. In our English Bibles, we're just giving a slightly different look at the same action that's taking place. And in its most literal form, the word that is used there, the action word, the verb that is translated shall fail and that is translated shall vanish away simply means to be made inoperative. These two things, prophecy and knowledge, are both going to be made inoperative. Tongues, it says. The action word there, the verb is shall cease. Tongues shall cease. Now that one's real hard to understand. The action word there, the verb to cease, means to stop. Literally, to stop. Prophecy and knowledge, they are going to be made inoperative. Tongues is going to stop. Now, why did God use different words here? Because God was saying something different. He's telling us something. Notice something further. This is hard to understand, not only the verbs, but the voices that they're used in. You see, there was three different voices. There was the active, the passive, and the middle. Now, here it is in its most simple terms. If I am the subject and hit is the verb, in the active voice, I hit the ball. That's simple enough. The subject is performing the action. I hit the ball. In the passive voice, the ball hit me. The subject is receiving the action of the verb. So in the active, I hit the ball. In the passive, the ball hits me. In the middle voice, I hit myself. The ball's got nothing to do with it. We don't really have that in the English, but that's, that's what it means. There's nothing hard. It doesn't have to be over-technical. But boy, there's a big difference. It's the same verb. The same verb hit in every case, but it's a big difference as to whether the subject of that verb is performing the action receiving the action, or doing the action upon themselves. And you see, that tells us a lot about what is God saying to us. This isn't hard to figure out. It's not hard to understand. The verb that's used for what is taking place here with the prophecies and the knowledge, to be made inoperative, it's in what is known as the passive voice. It means that the subject, which in that case is the prophecies and the knowledge, they are receiving the action. They're not doing the action. They're receiving the action. In other words, something is going to act upon them to make them become inoperative. There is no other way to read it. That's exactly what the Word of God is saying to us. Something is going to act upon prophecy and knowledge, those gifts that will make them become inoperative. What in the world is going to do that acting? 
Did you notice really what it said in verse 9? And notice if you really look, you begin to understand how people take it so out of context a lot of time. For we know in part. No, what's that? That's the gift of knowledge. <laughs> the gift of knowledge is so that we can know. We only know in part. And what? And we prophesy in part. Now, we've talked about what these gifts are already some time back, knowledge and prophecy. We know that prophecy, it's truly just the proclaiming forth, someone speaking forth. It can be in a foretelling, but it's more literally in the foretelling because it doesn't have to be. Matter of fact, it wasn't until quite some years later that this futuristic part became a part because the word literally meant to be before proclaiming. But the before proclaiming in its original meaning didn't mean proclaiming before as far as in time. It meant proclaiming before people. One that would stand before people. God's prophet is one that would before the people proclaim God's word. And sometimes it was something that God was revealing for the first time. But sometimes it was the reiterating of something that God had already said. Knowledge. The ability to understand. The gift of knowledge. The word of knowledge is sometimes called. You see, it's the ability to be able to take God's word. And some people have a special gift for being able to, to take God's word and to study God's word and to read God's word. And it's got nothing to do with what they could be taught in the great universities and colleges and education centers of this world. It's got everything to do with what the Holy Spirit teaches them and gives them clear understanding of God's Word, a special gift, a special word of knowledge, a special understanding of what God is saying. Now again, when God's Word was being written, that gift also, it could be a word of knowledge from God that was a revelation, God revealing something for the first time, <coughs> but it come more to be the reiterating, understanding what God had already said. We find that the prophecies, the knowledge, he says we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part, what's in part? The knowledge and the prophecy. Didn't say anything about the tongues there. That's a totally separate issue. He's mentioned all these gifts. Then he mentioned specifically knowledge and prophecy that we only know in part, that we only prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part, the knowledge and the prophecy, that doesn't mean that they're the only ones that are in part, but they shall be done away. That which is perfect. Do you know what? Shall be done away. Guess what? Do you know that if you look it up, and it's not hard, got a Strong's, anything simple like that, do you know that that word right there, that which is in part, shall be done away. Guess what? That's the exact same action word, the exact same verb that he used up in, in verse 8 when he was talking about knowledge and prophecy, which is what is being talked about here in context when they literally would become inoperative, would be made inoperative. That which is perfect, when it comes, is what's going to bring about that action the verb that's used with tongues is in the middle voice. In this case, the subject tongues, in other words, is acting upon itself. What does he say? Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. In other words, folks, what the Bible says and anything else we're adding to it they're going to stop all by themselves. Prophecy and knowledge, something is going to act upon them to cause them to become inoperative. But tongues is going to stop 
They're going to cease. They're going to stop all by themselves. And do you know what? That verb is used, if I have correctly studied, <laughs> about 15 times in the New Testament. And you know what you find when you begin to look at it? This is important. God is saying something here. God is saying from these gifts, knowledge, prophecy, something is going to happen that's going to cause them to become inoperative. That's when that which is perfect has come because at our very best, these things can only be partial in our lives, but there's something else that's going to come in fullness. Tongues, says they are going to cease. They're going to stop of themselves. Nothing else is acting upon them. They're stopping of themselves. These verses draw a very clear distinction, and we're going to leave it there for this morning. They draw a very clear distinction between the action that is taking place with the cessation of the gifts of knowledge and prophecy and that which is happening with the cessation of tongues. Knowledge, prophecy. They'll be made inoperative when that which is perfect is come. Preacher, you haven't told us when that which is perfect is come. Come back tonight. <laughs> I may or may not tell you then when that which is perfect has come. We know one thing for certain as we look here, that there is something, whatever that perfect thing is, there is something there that will cause these gifts to no longer be in operation. But having nothing to do with, with that, tongues weren't being operated up. They weren't being acted upon by that which is perfect here, they were simply stopping of themselves. They're ceasing, they're stopping of themselves. When will that be? We'll look at those things. You see, let's not try to make it what we want it to be. Let's not set out to prove a point and take God's Word out of the context that it's meant in. God wants us to understand. God has given it to us. And he's given it to us the way that he's given. Just take it for what it says. I've not drawn conclusions yet. The simple truth is we know some things for absolute certain. If we're going to come to a conclusion, we need to understand it. We're going to look at some other things this evening, which I think are very, very important, especially concerning the apostles. And just look at what God's Word tells us about these gifts and their operation. In the apostles. Remember, it is Jesus Christ through his apostles and the church. That's what gifts are all about. So I trust and pray that you'll be here this evening, this morning. We're about to stand and sing for our closing hymn. And I hope that you can simply sing this from your heart. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is yours today? I know that this hasn't been particularly an evangelistic message, but the simple truth is I never want you to leave here to be without being given the opportunity to know. You see, the workings of the Holy Spirit and all the excitement and all the wonder and the greatness of what can take place there, simple truth is none of it, none of it matters at all to you unless you know with certainty that Jesus Christ lives in your heart. This passage begins with love, and it ends with love. And may I say to you this morning, it was God's love for you. That was the reason that he sent his son. That was the reason Jesus died on the cross for you. In the end, when all these gifts and everything else around us fail, love will still be there. You know Jesus Christ today? If you don't, we'd love to take the Word of God and show you exactly what Jesus has done for you and how you can have that certainty in your heart. And Christians, I'd like you to get a little bit excited about what God can and will do through your life if He's truly got your life. If you can truly, truly sing these words of this song from your heart.
and really, really mean them. If you love him with all of your heart, you're willing to resign this world and all of its sins, let him have control of your life. It's exciting what God will do through you. As we stand and as we sing together, Sister Amber comes to the piano, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus is now. Oh.